Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do for an exclusive 35% off because every mom deserves a good night's sleep. And with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash I do. That's ro.co slash I D O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. What's up, podcast people? Welcome to the show. This is I Do Podcast, if you did not know. Sarah is in a goofy (laughs) mood here today. She's rhyming on the intro, and that's okay. Yeah? I just rhymed too. (laughs) Not on purpose. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. We are a little bit slapstick here on this beautiful afternoon, summer afternoon here in sunny Oregon. We are still here in Oregon and I know I'm still buzzing. This is not as uh, about two weeks after the total solar eclipse that passed through. It was just about two hours south of where we're staying and we got up early 6 a.m. and drove set up at a nice field and it was absolutely amazing. I mean, amazing. I cannot words and pictures and video cannot mm. do it justice. No, it was just unreal. the The temperature dropped. The light was this weird, 
kind of twilight dusk the crickets for, for like a couple minutes as it as it came to totality and then totality hit and it was it was just surreal it was absolutely unbelievably beautiful and we're already planning a trip for for chile 2019 it's gonna Woo-hoo. be the next total eclipse and honestly it was just i am not a particularly religious or person but definitely spiritual and and that was i mean the most spiritual experience i can imagine like it was just unbelievable so still buzzing from that it was really cool if you want to I'm not trying to do a social media plug, but I guess I might as well. If you want to see an Instagram video that of the eclipse that I put up yeah. on my personal Instagram, it's Chase underscore Coster, K-O-S-T-E-R. And we well, have, actually, we have we can, an Instagram, right? Yeah, we'll put it on our Instagram oh, and Sarah's our Facebook. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking my, at them like, what are you doing now? <laughs> I'm, I'm plugging myself over here. No, no. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll put it on. I do podcasts, do Instagram and Facebook and the website and check it out. It's amazing. And it was such, like Chase was saying, the experience of having a, seen it together and with Stella. And we actually went with some friends too. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're losing adjectives here <laughs> to describe <laughs> it because, but really, nothing can. I mean, check out the video; it won't do it justice. But I did a GoPro time lapse, and then I'll I'll put on there. We'll put on there what I wrote about the experience. But anyways, definitely, and and you know that kind of definitely brought us closer. That shared experience is, is amazing. There's no other person or people that I'd rather spend it with than Sarah and our daughter Stella. So yeah. she won't remember, but. But she. But uh, in what is it? Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. She may yeah, remember yeah, then. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna we're becoming eclipse uh, chasers. Followers. Here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, truly amazing. So highly encourage that experience. And yeah, so th- that was just great. And and summer has been going good. And we we're just happy to continue to do what we're doing here. Yeah, we're almost wrapping up here in Oregon, and we'll be headed down the coast back to San Diego for a couple months and then off to some adventures this winter. So we'll be excited to let you guys know where we are and share the journey with you guys. Yeah. Share updates from the road. We are we are vagabonding. We're living wherever our car We're is We're nomads parked. currently at the yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's fun to have that flexibility and see new places and and continue to bring you guys great information to help improve your relationships. And on today's show, we have Darlene Lancer. And we had Darlene on way back on episode 48. And I believe we talked about what to do with a breakup, right? Dealing with breakups, getting yeah. back together. So definitely... Yeah. Whether you should move on or yeah. what to do if you stay together. Yeah. So if that speaks to you, hopefully we apologize if you're going through that. That's a tough thing. But if that speaks to you, episode 48 with Darlene. But on today's show, episode double that, over double that. I can't <laughs> believe that. We're like in the 100s. We talked to Darlene about dealing with a partner or if you personally are a perfectionist, and this definitely hits home, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to certain things, keeping a clean car and a clean <laughs> bedroom, I am not a perfectionist. Sarah will be the first to tell you however mm-hmm. upset she might be about that, but <laughs> I just got to let it go. <laughs> she just lets it go, and that's why we work so well together. But I am a perfectionist when it comes to other things, and it's definitely something that I'm always trying to work on, and it can be detrimental to our relationship. So I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who can relate either personally or with a partner, and there's a lot of great tools and tactics that Darlene provides today to help navigate that for yourself or dealing with a partner who is a perfectionist. And there's a wide range of perfectionists. Perfectionism isn't always a negative thing. And I was relieved to hear that. And and I felt like I was more in the, was it positive? Positive. Perfectionist mm-hmm. is what it's called. But there's a range and some of them can be quite detrimental to your relationship. And so definitely listen for that. Check that out. Try to understand 
where you fall on that range, where your partner falls on the range, and you'll use the tips to help navigate dealing with someone that's an uptight perfectionist like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing Darlene mentioned, and I think I learned a little bit about myself when she was talking about this, is how self-esteem relates to being a perfectionist. And she said how she's worked with many couples that one person thought they had a really you know high self-esteem but that they would get defensive when they were in arguments and that can be a sign of a low self-esteem so I think I learned something there about myself because I've always related to have a good high self-esteem but I'm sure Chase can be the first one to say, I can tend to get defensive in arguments or conversations. So this is something that I'm going to work on because I didn't really realize it until Darlene mentioned that those two relate. So learning something new every day. Yeah. And that that might be associated more with a negative perfectionist personality, but it's a broad spectrum and we're not here to self-diagnose or certainly diagnose people through podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) That would be impossible. But you can take this information and just be introspective. And I know I'm navigating this. And it was really valuable just dealing with your inner critic because a lot of times that is where the perfectionism comes from is you have this inner critic and nothing's ever good enough. And and luckily for my situation, it's it doesn't apply to like I said, clean car, <laughs> uh, <laughs> cleanliness, and I'm a bit of a slob, unfortunately. So definitely not a perfectionist there. But in other areas of my life, particularly athletics, and and just easing up on myself and not being so critical, and that's important for my my own growth. But it's also going to help our relationship, our marriage. So one way or another. This episode is going to apply to either you personally or your partner or someone that's been in your life. So I hope you guys find a lot of value there. Yeah. And and you may not be the one that is a, a perfectionist, but Darlene gives tons of great tips so that you can implement it in your relationship if your partner is a is a perfectionist. So I've, you know, found that really helpful and I'm sure you guys will as well. So we hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists. Get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on a path to a happier life. For $30 off your first month, visit Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Hello, we have Darlene Lancer with us today. Thanks for joining us back on the show, Darlene. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you and your audience. Yeah, Darlene, you are a return guest from way back in episode 48, so we appreciate you being back on. And we've given our listeners a little bit of information again about you. And why don't we start today with a question we like to ask all of our guests. Why do you enjoy helping people improve their relationships? That is a good question. (laughs) I just do. I like to see the changes. People are happier and they feel better about themselves. They have more intimacy. So I see couples that have you know, telling me after 30 years they're happier now than they were on their honeymoon when they thought they were headed for divorce. So that's always nice. And it's always amazing to me sometimes when they can't get their partner to come to counseling or therapy, when I only see one person, that huge changes happen in their partner that would be unbelievable. So when one person changes... It changes the whole system because I see relationships as a moving dynamic where there's no victims or villains, there's colluders and collaborators. And so we may not be conscious of what we're doing that's creating repetitive, destructive patterns. But once we start changing our own steps, the whole dance changes. We love that. And I like that you made the point that you see changes when only one partner is going. Obviously, we want to encourage 
both partners to be involved and and that is probably the best situation but don't feel hopeless if your partner is not into seeking therapy listening to podcasts reading books improve the relationship it is not hopeless so there's definitely and a lot of people probably find themselves in that situation so that's a great point that you brought up there and today mm-hmm. we're going to zero in on something that is definitely close to home for me and in our relationship in how to deal with perfectionism, whether it's in yourself or in your partner. I know, I think Sarah can agree that I am a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to certain things. Definitely keeping a clean house and car might not be my perfectionist tendencies do not show there, but but in other areas. So why don't we start off and define what perfectionism is? Well, it's when someone has very unrealistically high standards, and when they consider the inability to meet them or their failure to meet them, a personal failure, and it's a sign of their own worthlessness. So there's nothing wrong with having high standards, but a perfectionist has standards that are idealistic, that are unrealistic. That's one of the things that makes them perfectionists, because there is no such thing as perfection. And then they take it as a sign of personal failure and weakness. And obviously, this can create a lot of problems. I know, personally, like I said, I feel like like anything in life, it, we're always trying to improve and it's a fine balance. I'm very type A driven with certain things. And part of me is like, yeah, I just need to be easier on myself. And then I have this other part that's tugging and saying, no, you can do better and you got to try harder. You got to put in more work. And because if if I just accept, well, that's good enough then I feel like I, like you said, am failing. So how can someone be coached on this line, like having a balance of working to to be a a better person and to to be better at their job, their sports, if they're into sports, their relationship, but not seek unrealistic goals? Well, that's what the whole book is about. There's many steps to that, and you have to kind of break it down. And the first would be is becoming aware of your your self-talk and some of your beliefs. For instance, you might have the belief that if I don't achieve perfection or if I don't improve at this and do my best at this, that I won't be happy or that I won't succeed or that people won't like me. So ferreting out what are your underlying beliefs is key because our beliefs drive our behavior. And we're we're not always conscious of our beliefs. And then the next step is like challenging them. There are situations where that's not true. So you're not going to have more fun if you're trying to be perfect. It's not going to help your marriage if you're trying to be perfect or you're trying to perfect your partner. It's going to have the opposite effect. And it's not going to make you more well-liked. So you have to figure out what are your beliefs and then challenge them. That's, and so you have to start to be aware of your self-talk. So those are just some of the beginning steps. And what are your values? How is it impacting your life? I suggest that people make a pie chart and see the areas that they're perfectionistic in and how much of their time and energy is devoted to that. Because usually it's a lot. So I saw one person who, being the perfect parent, this was a stay-at-home mom, and that was taking up about 97% of her time. So... She was neglecting herself and wondering why there were problems in her marriage. So when you say a, a perfect parent, was she just focusing solely on her kids and not contributing anything else to any other parts of her relationships in her life? Well, especially her relationship with herself. So she was exhausted all the time and, and then irritable. So, of course, then she was always failing 
at being the ideal. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. In fact, psychoanalysts write about the concept, you know, decades ago about being a good, you only have to be a good enough parent. There are times when we say things that we show anger, we get angry at kids, we say things we regret. That's not going to damage them. It's maintaining a loving bond, that bridge, emotional bridge with your child that you can repair. I mean, if you keep doing it over and over and keep apologizing, then it becomes a chronic problem, but not that it's occasional. What do you find most people are being a perfectionist at that affects relationships? Well, there's different kinds of perfectionists. There's one that's called the self-oriented, and it's also referred to in the literature as like positive or adaptive perfectionism. And if you have a negative type of perfectionism, it can be a huge shift to change it to positive or adaptive perfectionist. And they have high standards, but when they succeed, they feel good about themselves. And they're driven, they're motivated by believing that they will succeed. Whereas maladaptive or negative perfectionism, and they're called socially prescribed perfectionists, they are driven by fear and self-doubt. And even when they do achieve success, they diminish it. They can't take pride in themselves. And the type of perfectionist that is the most damaging to relationships are those that are other-oriented perfectionists. So those are people that try to perfect others, especially their partners. So they're always finding fault with their partner. And then there's narcissistic perfectionists. So they can be cruel and this, their partner is never good enough. So that's very destructive to a relationship. Underneath perfectionism basically is shame. The whole idea of being perfect is to compensate for the belief that I'm flawed, I'm not good enough. There's that, that idea of being good enough. I'm not enough. I'm unlovable. There's something wrong with me. I'm inferior, which I address more specifically in my book, Conquering Shame and Codependency. But this underlies perfectionism and narcissistic perfectionists. So a narcissist may not be conscious of those feelings. They might tell themselves how great they are, but they're so afraid of their flaws showing that that gets projected onto others and they, they don't see the, they may not see flaws in themselves. They only see it in others. So a big part of healing perfectionism is working with your inner critic. And I go into that in this book and changing your relationship with your, your, that inner voice. And there are steps to do that. I, I address that specifically and 10 steps of self-esteem, the ultimate guide to stop self-criticism. But when you have a very strong, negative inner critic, it not only criticizes you, it'll project criticism, it'll find fault with others. So that's kind of how it works. Some people are, feel superior to others and they see others as inferior. And then some people feel inferior and they idealize others. That might be the partner of a narcissist looks up and thinks of the narcissist as so strong and so successful and powerful or handsome or talented, smart, and they don't think well enough of themselves. So sometimes they get paired up. There's obviously a spectrum here. You went through the different types of perfectionism. I think it's important to our listeners that they're trying to identify maybe one they they can relate to if they are relating to one or that their partner might be relating to. In listening to that, I personally think I'm more towards the positive perfectionist, which is mm-hmm. is a good thing. Wouldn't would you say I am, Sarah? Yeah, I mean I think you're definitely more positive even if you 
don't succeed in what you're trying to do, I think you still use that as a way to kind of push you even more to try again. And, and yeah, so I would say you're definitely positive about it. But at the same time, I think it, it it's important to be aware of it in that it can have a negative effect because I, I definitely will switch from being that positive perfectionist to maybe something like an other oriented where I'm trying to pick apart what Sarah's doing a little bit. And then I try to recognize that and and make sure that I'm not doing that. So my point is, is what would you tell the partner of someone that is identifying their partner as, as a perfectionist on the spectrum, how can that partner that's not a perfectionist, how can they navigate that in their relationship? Well, one thing they should do is learn to set boundaries and just say, cut it out. You know, I feel criticized. So I stress, I mean, that's a big step in overcoming codependency is learning to be assertive. And I've written a lot about that. I have an ebook and a web webinar on that. So, so just to, you know, check their partner when they're doing that. Say that's not okay. You know, I feel diminished when you do that. You know, getting back to this idea of shame and answering your other question about how it damages relationships. A healthy relationship requires two people with good self-esteem. So the more you're tearing yourself down or somebody else, it's lowering your self-esteem and you can actually lower the self-esteem of your partner. Or with good self-esteem, you can actually lift. Research has proven this, that you can lift the self-esteem of your partner. Having a, a relationship with someone with good self-esteem can actually elevate your own. And someone has low self-esteem, it's a very poor prognosis for a relationship. So boundaries... A relationship can't exist without boundaries. Boundaries and self-esteem are like key. Being assertive, these are all things that, you know, make for a healthy relationship. Not that one person is, you know, scolding the other or seeing the other as inferior, but equal. So it's each person's responsibility to set boundaries and say that's not okay. You know, I feel disrespected when you say that. So when you say self-esteem, I find it a lot harder to think of specific ways for someone to improve that versus setting boundaries. I feel like that can be a little bit more black and white for certain people when it comes to relationships. So in this specific situation, since self-esteem really can breed, I guess, shame, how would you recommend our listeners who are having self-esteem issues work on that directly for themselves? Well, I would say the first step is to writing down your negative self-talk. I mean, a lot of people, myself included, there were times when I thought I had really good self-esteem and I wasn't aware that there was like shame underneath, but it was reflected in some of my behavior, my relationships. So, you know, a sign of good self-esteem is being able to be present and have an accurate perception of what's going on, not reacting to your past because low self-esteem will cause a filter so that you will filter out. It's like you may have trouble receiving compliments. That might be a sign. And you might not even hear a compliment. I mean, I've been with couples where, let's say, a husband is praising his wife and she hears it as a criticism. I ask him to repeat it. And again, she hears it as a criticism. If I wasn't sitting there as a third person listening, they'd be in an argument. So not trusting yourself, having trouble making decisions, not wanting attention. I start to say if you have trouble receiving compliments, well, you extrapolate that. If you don't feel worthy, you're going to have trouble receiving love. So you'll be pursuing people who are unavailable, or only people who are needy and dependent on you because otherwise you're afraid they'll leave, or you'll be in a relationship that's abusive. So it really starts, you'll only allow as much abuse as you give to yourself. So I'd say start writing down all your negative self-talk to really heighten your mindfulness and awareness of it. One client who thought they had 
good self-esteem, but they realized that they were very defensive, and this was causing a problem in their relationship. And as we explored that, he came to understand that his hypersensitivity to criticism was because underneath, he wasn't so confident. So he was very, he couldn't take any negative feedback or or criticism. And sometimes people will hear, as I said, criticism when it's not even there. And assertiveness, as you mentioned, is easily learnable. I mean, it takes time, but you can learn that. And that improves self-esteem. It empowers you setting boundaries. For instance, saying no to somebody rather than explaining and why, which causes more arguments. And just when you start justifying yourself, you're really telling somebody else that they have the right to approve, you know, to condone or approve of your decisions or behavior. But if you don't get into justifying and explaining, you're just taking a position, it cuts out a lot of arguments, and then you feel empowered. People-pleasing is another sign. So there's a lot of steps in, first is your negative self-talk, but there's a lot of other steps in raising your self-esteem. So being able to be assertive, to honor your feelings, to express your feelings, keeping commitments to yourself. A lot of people will, you know, go an extra mile for somebody else, but then they don't keep commitments to themselves. So that's not honoring yourself. Taking reasonable risks. I have a short YouTube called Codependency Recovery, and there's a diagram of a triangle of a shorthand recovery at the end. And at the low left-hand corner of the triangle is to know yourself. And then at the peak of the triangle is to take reasonable risks. And then the bottom right-hand corner is building self-esteem. And so each time you take a reasonable risk, it might be setting a boundary. It might be being vulnerable, expressing a feeling. It might be taking an action, going somewhere alone, learning something new, speaking up or something. You're learning more about yourself and you're empowering yourself. And I call, you know, self-empowerment is self-esteem in action. And then it builds self-esteem. Now you're a different person. You know something different about yourself. And so instead of a negative feedback system of self-doubt, self-recriminations, insecurity, you're building confidence and you're building self-empowerment. You're building your self-esteem. You might learn something that you don't like or make a choice that, well, that wasn't a good idea, but still you learn You're learning about yourself, and then you'll have better boundaries next time. You know your limitations. That's part of self-esteem, too. And also overcoming perfectionism is being able to acknowledge your limitations. So if you haven't been, let's say you're a runner, but you're out of condition, and you maybe you had a health problem, and you weren't running for you know, six months to then go expect yourself to do a 5K, you know, right after that, and then being down on yourself, that would be unrealistic expectations. So perfectionist, healthy standards are realistic and they're contextual. They consider personal limitations. They're flexible. You can modify them. And they're realistic that you can attain them with effort. They're not idealistic. There's so much great stuff, and there's a lot of different directions that this conversation could go because it's obviously very complex. Where the perfection is coming from, that would need to be identified in an individual. And then if you're talking about a partner that's dealing with it, there's a lot of different approaches. But the the information that you've given us and our listeners is so valuable because maybe someone's recognizing the type of perfectionist that they are and just that recognition, just the being self-aware, that's just a valuable thing for yourself and for a relationship no matter what. So hopefully someone listening is self-aware enough or sees this in their partner that they're able to just say, okay, this might be something 
that we need to explore more. And just, I'm listening very intently because I can relate to that perfectionist attitude. And I've, I've read and tried to work on it. And I think being kinder to yourself and having that realistic approach is, is so important. But like I said, it's, I go back to the type A and I talk to Sarah about this a lot, that it's a balance because I say, okay, if I only set realistic goals, well, you know, how do great things become achieved? It can be a balance where you obviously don't want everything to be unrealistic, but can I not say, and and I'm asking you, I'm going to set a goal that it's going to be pretty hard to attain, but that's going to be what drives me to do better. And then if I don't get there, not being hard on myself, but maybe setting something that's a little bit unrealistic so that it's it's pushing pushing the boundary, you know, helping me push myself. Does that make sense? Or is that an unhealthy way to approach it? Attainable with effort, I would say. So if you expecting yourself to, I don't know, be an opera singer when you only have No, a, not an opera well, singer. I, I wanted to improve my, my singing one time, and I always envied people that had these just had a wonderful voice, they, their instrument they carried with them all the time. So I took singing lessons. And after a month or so, I asked my teacher, so my, my, my range was one octave. <laughs> so I said, well, how long will it take to improve my range? She said, like another note or something. She said, about a year. So I thought, well, I don't think I'm that motivated to improve my range one note, you know, after a year of effort. So that's not where I'm going to put my energy <laughs> So, but being able to see someone who has healthy self-esteem or healthier perfection seeking would, when they fail to achieve their efforts, they will objectively evaluate their efforts. And if they don't succeed, they'll try to improve their performance. They'll lower their standards. So, okay, let me try to, I talk about titrating. So it's not just, I'm going to do the 5K. Well, maybe, you know, I'll just run a mile today and then, you know, in a month I'll run two miles. So they don't do something, set it up so that they're going to fail and feel bad about themselves. Or they examine, well, what am I doing wrong? What is maybe I have to strengthen these muscles or get different shoes or run in a different, you know, track or something. So they're going to evaluate their mistakes objectively and then they will adjust to it. That's a healthier. They take pride, they evaluate where someone else would just feel terrible. And a lot of the negative perfectionists will give up and they'll procrastinate because they want to avoid, you know, this negative shame that they have inside so they won't even try they won't they're afraid of trying something new because they're afraid of failing so as a lot of they go into anxiety a lot because of their fear of failure they're at greater risk for depression even suicide i also want to suggest to your listeners to keep a journal that's one of the first things i say to be aware your shoulds and your should nots because that's also shaming and sets you up for criticism, and start to identify your standards. You know, write them down. And as I mentioned, your underlying beliefs. Where do they come from? Where do these, you know, each should that you have about yourself, you know, why is that important to you? Is that something you learned from your parents, from your your religion or something? Where is the standard coming from? And evaluate it. For instance, I should always, I was such a jerk for being late for work. Well, is the standard, maybe I always have to be on time. And what's the belief under that? Well, punctuality is a sign of success. Well, is that really true? I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily always true. Maybe the boss comes in late. Or that it's a sign of good character. Well, I don't know if that's true either. Well, my parents always were very strict about that, and they scolded me when I was late. So then you look back to the seeds. Well, so maybe I'm still reacting to my parents scolding me, and I'm like, 
judging myself for that. What would you say to somebody else if they were like? Those are important questions to ask, and and that makes me feel personally good. And I kind of, through the work that I have done, have come to realize that I, I do have a positive perfectionist tilt most of the time. So that is good, and, and mm-hmm. it's good to recognize or understand that that there can be positive in in striving for perfection but keeping that objective perspective and being self-aware and how you're affecting others I think is the key there and one thing I just want to mention before we go to the lasting love round is one of the things that I found in trying to be kinder to myself and and understand that not everything needs to be perfect is that I would get very defensive if Sarah did critique me in something but because we're lucky enough to be in a very happy relationship that and that works well together and what I love about Sarah so much is she doesn't do that she's a very different personality from me she's not she is perfect to me but she doesn't like I don't want to say in a negative way but she's not trying to be a perfectionist like I am so it's a great balance I think that's part of the reason our relationship works and in that she's not critiquing me because I'm already doing that enough to myself but I found going back to the defensive part if she did it a lot of times almost every time it's a valid (laughs) critique but I have to check my reaction of of that defensiveness because I can't be critiqued, you know, and, and that I that I have maybe that's a self esteem thing, but just recognizing that I found very valuable and saying, Hey, look, she's trying to help me here and take that perspective. But the overarching thing is just having that ability and, and I'm not saying I'm I'm great at it, I'm always working, but having that ability to be present, like you mentioned earlier in the interview, and, and take an objective look at the situation. Well, yes, I can relate. Many decades ago, it would be hard for me to own my my part in uh, a conflict or something, uh, to take responsibility, and because I felt like if I admitted anything that I did wrong, it would be like such a black mark on me because I felt so bad about myself internally. But the more... You're, you have self-esteem, then you could admit things, you can accept negative feedback. So it does get better the more you are able to accept yourself. I want to just, because you said like your first question was, how do you overcome it? There are a lot of steps. Just mentioned it. So some of the steps listed in the book, and I go through the myths, the different types of perfectionism, what it feels like in family and the causes for perfectionism, and then I talk about relationships with a perfectionist. And then I have, most of the book is action steps and like a workbook. And I tell people to really examine their needs and their values because their behavior may not be meeting their needs or in align with their values. And to examine their standards and then how to adjust their standards to be more realistic and how to challenge your beliefs. And then a big part of it is changing your thinking because perfectionists have a lot of distorted thought processes. They tend to overgeneralize, catastrophize, have double standards between themselves and others. They project negative outcomes into the future. They have a lot of black and white, all or nothing thinking. Like, I'm a success or I'm a failure, aside from the self-criticism. So how to challenge and change all of that distorted thinking and then addressing behavior and changing your your actual behavior. And that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Makes us some suggestions of how to practice imperfection, like leaving the bed unmade, you know, parking crooked, sending out an email with typos in it. You know, something, some of these things would be unthinkable to a perfectionist, leaving dirty dishes in the sink. So just to 
practice it, you know, allow and then deal with the anxiety that comes up and really examine that. And part of, you know, healing is creating more balance in your life, being able to calm your mind and your anxiety and sharing with others because that diminishes shame. And then there's some steps to how to love yourself. And at the end in the appendix, I have some tips for parents on how to avoid creating perfectionist children because parents play a big role in creating, passing on perfectionism or making children into perfectionists. Well, I think the first part of this interview has been perfect. And (laughs) so now it's time to move on to the lasting love round. But first, we want to tell you a little bit about today's sponsor, Talkspace. If you're listening to this podcast, and obviously you are, if you're hearing me right now, you clearly want to improve yourself or your relationship or both. And that's why we are so excited to be working with our sponsor, Talkspace. Talkspace is an online therapy company that makes it easy to connect with an experienced licensed therapist that you pick based on your preferences for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. You can send your therapist texts, audio, and video messages, or even do live video chat. Talkspace therapists are fully licensed and go through a rigorous screening process in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash I do. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can use the coupon code I do. That's I-D-O to get $30 off your first month and show your support for the podcast. That's coupon code I do and Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? To tell your partner what you appreciate in them. And I would say a lot of people just naturally will say what they don't like. I mean, it's all right to say this is something that I, you know, that I don't like in your behavior, but it's always easier to hear it if you ask her what you do want because people generally feel defensive and they might want to block out. They hear it as a criticism, even if you're trying to be helpful. So if you can rephrase it into what you do like instead of, you know, you don't take out, you never take out the, and you don't, don't want to say never or always, but take out the trash or clear the table. Instead, you say, you know, I really appreciate it when you do that. It would make me very happy if you did that all the time. So you turn it, the negative into a, a request for the behavior you want. Same with children. Is there a book or resource you could recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationships? Yeah, Codependency for Dummies, for sure. Well, we will be sure to have that book and all of the links from this interview on your show notes page at idopodcast.com, and it'll be right there in the archives. We've been married for almost three years now. Is there any advice you'd give newlyweds? I wouldn't give you any advice without knowing you well and with your marriage. So I wouldn't say that without knowing you better. I think you probably know what's best for you. Talk to each other about it and ask each other how you can improve. improve. You know what? There's a, there is, I will say this on my website, what is codependency.com? Your listeners can subscribe to my monthly blog. There's a lot there on relationships and self-esteem. Another ebook that will really help relationships is how to be assertive because communication is everything. But there is a blog on there called 24 Tips to Positive Conflict. And there's 12 do's and don'ts. And I encourage couples to download that list, print it out and make a contract, come up with your own rules of engagement and sign a contract and hold each other to your agreements on how you're going to resolve conflict. 
What advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? Well, I think the more you're happier in your life, the more you will bring to a relationship, the more desirable you will be. And even if you don't find the relationship you want, it's your life and you're responsible for your happiness to live it. You're responsible for your happiness and your unhappiness. So a lot of people think that relationship is going to solve their problems and make them happy. I'm not saying that you shouldn't want a relationship if you do, but you know, try to focus on how you can be happier with or without one. And you'll be an attraction. People will be more attracted to you. Well, excellent, Darlene. This has been such an enlightening interview, I think definitely for us and with different things we can put into place in our relationship and hopefully for our listeners as well. So let's go ahead and wrap up this interview by having you tell our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Well, I'm on social media everywhere. I have a Facebook page called Codependency Recovery. You can also search for my name, Darlene Lancer, and I have a YouTube channel. You can do the same there. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and what is codependency.com? You'll find all my books, which is they're also on Nook and Amazon. We talked a lot about building self-esteem. I have a webinar on how to raise your self-esteem. There's also one on how to be assertive in addition to my eBooks. So you just Google my name. You'll probably find a lot of information on me and I'd love to hear of any of them. If they email me, I will be happy to send them or actually you can download it from my website, 14 Tips for Letting Go. So whether you're letting go of someone that you're obsessed with or someone you've lost, those tips can be really, or a child that you're over-involved with, those tips can be very helpful. Excellent. Well, our listeners can find all of the information and links of today's episode and all of those links that you mentioned on idopodcast.com. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the show. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't signed up for our 14 day happy couple challenge yet, head on over to our website at idopodcast.com forward slash 14 to sign up today. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.